You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, sir. All right. Um, Got the pleasure of opening the word for us today. And um, to my right, I have a chair that has pieces of paper and a microphone. And I want eight bold people who are excited to declare the word of God before us to, to be thinking about coming up and grabbing a piece of paper at any point in time. Find that urge. I will read them if uh, if they're all sitting there. By the time we get to that part, if they're there, I have no problem reading it. But I want to call uh, eight of us to grab a piece of paper and be ready to uh, stand at the microphone and read those scriptures when the time comes. So, again, no distraction. Get up whenever you want to get up. Come grab a piece of paper and um, and we'll read. Well, today um, we come to uh, one of those days where it's not a, a, a platitude to say that we've all come from different places today. We actually kind of know where many of us have come from this week in experiencing um, the loss of our brother Isaiah. Uh, many of us come this morning burdened and sad and processing. And, um, and yet many of us had a great week got to talk to Cleston and he was talking about just the the thriving feeling that he's having with their family unit and the the blessing of a new life in their home and the rhythms that they're creating with a new child and how beautiful that is. Yesterday, we got to celebrate uh, a baby shower for our son who's coming in um, in the summertime and got a beautiful uh, uh, towel that has red letters and I love it so much from my sister Jamie. Um, with his name on it, I told Jamie, I, I, I was getting choked up. Like I'm about to have a son. Like that's actually kind of crazy to me. And, and all of those emotions we get to experience here and now. Um, how many of you guys maybe have heard the term already and not yet? A few of us. That term uh, speaks to the tension of living as a human being in Christ on this earth. And all of us this week experience the reality of the already and not yet. We experience the reality of brokenness and we experience the reality of joy. And even some of those things don't make sense here on earth in the now time um, because that spectrum we really feel like shouldn't be there. We shouldn't have the extremes of lows and highs. It should be good all the time. And we know that we're not yet at that place when that will be true when we're in the kingdom, when we're fully redeemed, when we're with Christ and we see him face to face, at that time, all of that will be true. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness and sorrow. There will be joy and light forever. But in the meantime, we live in this tension. We feel the joys and the beauty of being in Christ, and yet we feel the brokenness of living in a fallen world, right? And again, we felt those extremes to um, maybe an extreme this week, right? And Paul here in Romans 7, he says, So I find it to be a law when I want to do right. Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. 
wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And he's speaking to this reality that we all feel, that we all experience this week, the highs and lows and the temptation to respond to our flesh in different ways. And we know that God is good, but I don't always feel that way. I know that his kingdom is coming, but I'm not always sure that's true. And we all in our human flesh experience that reality. And again, this week, we all felt it together. The spectrum of emotion, the pain and the, the processing, right? But one thing that I have been processing myself, um, I'm so thankful for the songs that were chosen this morning. Uh, just I think the Lord really met us in singing those songs. Because in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the process, you guys can turn to Psalm 121. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the process, um, God is still good. Amen. And one of the beautiful things about music, especially music that exalts Jesus Christ, is that it proclaims the truthfulness of who God is before us in song. And one thing that I've been convinced of throughout this week is that one thing that each and every one of us needs from each other is to be called up. And I love my brother Cleston because he's always calling us up. He's always pointing our eyes to the sky, to the Lord above and his power and his glory and his beauty. And that is what we all should do. But we're not all able to do that sometimes. And in those moments, you need to find somebody like Cleston. In those moments, you need to find somebody who has strength to believe that God is good. good. In those moments, you might be tempted to find someone to commiserate with your loneliness. And there's a time and a place for that. But you can't stay there. Yeah. Psalm 121 says this. I lift my eyes to the hills. Now, pause for a second. Right. We got beautiful mountains and all that. Right. We can look over here and everybody look. You see that mountain up there? I look my I look, I lift up my eyes to the hills. How many of us want to go trek that hill right now? <laughs> Maybe a couple of us, right? But who's just like, yes. But better question, what's on the other side of the hill? What if there's enemies? What if there's destruction? What if there's desert, heat, right? Thinking about who the author is writing to. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? What does it say? Verse two. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This isn't just the Lord, right? Actually, this is L-O-R-D, all capital. My help comes from Yahweh. And he is the one who is not weak, but he made the heavens and the earth. That's the one where your help comes from. And he goes on, he will not let your foot be moved. Again, scaling this, this hill, he's not gonna let your foot slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. How many of us are tired? I know Cleston is, he told me a little while ago. <laughs> but he doesn't slumber. He works to keep your foot steady. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Yahweh is your keeper. Yahweh is your shade. Again, these are desert people he's writing to. There ain't no shade on a hill. 
But Yahweh is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Yahweh will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He didn't say till tomorrow. He said forevermore. And all of us live in the tension of believing that. But I believe with all my heart that along the pathway for processing and along the pathway of dealing with grief, that's where we need to be called. It might take you months, weeks, years, a long time to get there. But my prayer is that along the way, the people who believe Yahweh is good are calling us to that. That we're called to look up to where our help comes from, because guess what? Our help does not come from anything here. There's nothing that is in this world. There is no house, no treasure, no job, no people on this earth that will help you the way Yahweh can help you. And yet, and yet, where do we find ourselves a lot of the time? If you take a moment right now to the bottle. We can be honest. We can run. We, we can name all the vices, right? But when a struggle hits, who's the first person or what's the first thing you run to? Is it Yahweh? Is it Yahweh? That's what he would call us to do in the midst of brokenness. And the Psalms are page after page after page of people, real people, walking through their brokenness. But their conversation is with Yahweh. What's that first person you text when something goes wrong? Did you talk to God before you did that? I think that's what God would call us to do in this season, to not be broken down or halted by the, the pain. Feel it. I love what we had to experience or we got to experience on Tuesday. For those of us who got to experience that, the opportunity and space to process. But today's Sunday. And God's mercies are renewed each and every day. But today we're able to call each other up. We're able to sing songs and point our minds and our hearts to the one who is in control of all things. And so we want to have a kingdom mindset. I could go to a few other passages. And one thing that I do want to note in the midst of thinking and processing struggle and grief, something that we talked about last week in our gospel community is how human Jesus is. There's no human that ever will or has walked on the face of this earth who cannot understand all of the grief and all of the pain that you under, that you experience here on this earth. I'll take it even a little bit further. Jesus experienced a pain that if you're in him, you will never experience. When he cried out on the cross in Matthew 27, when Isaiah prophesied about it in Isaiah 53, He's acquainted with grief and he screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And not a soul here who believes in Jesus will ever have to say that. But in that pain, Luke gives us another facet to that story. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, I commit my spirit to you. There's pain and there's trust side by side in the same man and he did it perfect all of us will have 
moments and times where we do that well, and we'll have moments and times where that's a struggle. But Jesus did it, and he did it perfectly, and he did it for us. He knows the grief that you're feeling, and he wants you to be like him and to look up even in it. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to have a kingdom mindset. Again, all I knew what to do today, I was processing what I do. The only thing I know to do is bring us before the scripture. Open God's word and we're going to read the word today. I see some pieces of paper over here, so I'm going to challenge people to think about that. I want us to turn to Matthew 22. Jesus had a perfect kingdom mindset. And he calls us to, as uh, his little brothers and sisters, to be like him. And to walk in a kingdom mindset. Matthew 22. Let me turn there myself. <clears throat> a kingdom mindset. I think this chapter, this chapter really highlights a handful of things that are important. And we're going to camp on one in particular. I'm going to read this whole chapter to us. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business while the rest seized the servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, pause for a moment. That's you and I. We were not invited at first, except for my Jewish people here. But the rest of us Gentiles, we weren't invited. And we have the beauty of the kindness of our God. Verse 11. But when the king came and to look at the guests, he saw there were a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So what is the kingdom mindset here as Jesus tells this little parable? I think it'd be summed up in this way. A kingdom mindset receives God's invitation humbly and comes prepared. The duality to that, and it's that last part that kind of troubles us sometimes, right? A, a, a kingdom mindset receives God's invitation humbly. The former people did not do that. They went so far as to even kill his servants. But those that he called afterwards received that invitation humbly, but they have to come prepared. Question for us is, are you walking humbly towards the kingdom and are you preparing yourself to be present at the wedding feast? It takes 
time. It takes process. And that isn't legalism because the king gave them the garments. He allowed them to be participating. He gave them away. It wasn't like, again, humble, right? If the king gives you a garment and you're like, I don't want that. I'm gonna come in what I, what I had. I got my J's on, I'm cool, right? I got my forces on, but you know. But the king gave them the garments. That humility and a kingdom mindset. Now, again, I, I want to pause and not, not really run past that. Do you humbly walk in God's kingdom and do you prepare yourself as he's called us to be prepared? Do you? God would call us to do that. That's walking in a kingdom mindset. But let's go on here. Verse 15. And again, I just love this. These are people trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to catch him. And the Pharisees, in verse 15, went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me a coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, or rather next verse, or he says, and God, the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. So what is a kingdom mindset here? It's very simple. I think we all get it. It's honor Caesar as Caesar and God as God, but God is not Caesar and Caesar is not God. And a lot of us are real tripped up by our Caesars, right? And this season, definitely. And God says, render to Caesar what's his. That's his business. But you better make sure that you're just as caught up in rendering to me what is mine. He's not making one over the other, right? Do what you need to do on earth, but make sure you're definitely doing what you need to do as a kingdom citizen. We can go on. The next few verses. They said they, the same day, the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must carry the widow and raise offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third and down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died in the resurrection. Therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong. Jesus is tight. <laughs> because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, now for a real quick second, the Sadducees knew the scriptures. Okay? They read the Bible. They knew the stories. But Jesus is talking about something different. Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what, what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and Isaac 
and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, did Jesus answer that question? <laughs> he kind of kind of didn't. Right. But that's why he said, you don't understand the scripture. You're not even asking the right questions. Is God the God of the living or is he the God of the dead? And he is the God of the living. And again, I think a kingdom mindset here from Jesus is that a kingdom mindset focuses on whose you will be, not what you will bring. They were so focused on this earthly, tangible things. Whose wife is she going to be that they weren't even thinking about in the resurrection? Who cares? That's not the point. How much you accumulated and how much you gathered and how much you had and whose husband or wife you had. That's not the point of the kingdom. Eternity, we're going to be with the father forever. Living with him. That's the point of the kingdom. And that is a kingdom mindset. And again, I think for us, it's what are we holding on to here? The next one, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That is a statement. Of everything that's written in the Old Testament, love God and love people is what it all hangs on. Are you loving God well? You're going to keep the commandments. If you love people well, you're going to keep the commandments. So a kingdom mindset here honors God and honors people as a, as a goal, as an aim, as a desire, as a way to walk. And lastly, 41, we see... Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. For from, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Again, Jesus is tight. But what did Jesus lean into here? Again, a kingdom mindset. And a kingdom mindset speaks wisdom to critics. None of these people that came up to Jesus were trying to understand anything. They were trying to criticize him. And as we're walking in a kingdom mindset, there are Foolish people and foolish things out there. And the thing that God would have his people do is speak wisdom to it. He would have his people speak wisdom to it. Where do we get wisdom? From his word. There's no other place. I'm glad to see all those pieces of paper are gone. We get wisdom from his word. So again, as we look to be kingdom minded people and we look to walk together and call each other up. We want to call each other to receive God's invitation humbly and to come prepared. We want to call each other to honor Caesar as Caesar and God as God. We want to call each other to focus on whose we will be, not what we will bring. We want to call each other to honor God and honor people. And we want to call each other to speak wisdom to our critics, not get caught up in foolish debates, but to speak truth and to speak 
kindness and to speak wisdom to a broken and lost people. So that's my sermon before the sermon. That's, that's just for us, right? That's free. We're walking through a series calling, calling it B, right? And so from this, I want us to look at, like I said, one specific one today. And I want us to think about being committed to care. Being committed to care. And the good news is I don't got a bunch of hoops for none of us to jump through because Jesus already said that the law and prophets are hanged on loving God and loving people. How do you care well? Well, the question is, are you loving God well and are you loving people well? In our culture, self-care is a buzzword that goes around. But I want to challenge us here that self-care that is not rooted in soul care is a pathway to destruction. Self-care that is not rooted in soul care is a pathway to destruction. All you ended up doing was getting a sunburn on your hike. If you going on that hike isn't rooted in worship. Soul care has to be the core to how we care for ourselves. So in the things you might do, all the enjoyment and pleasures that God allows us to experience because he's kind to us and he's good to us. Are you doing it to exalt Jesus? How do I exalt Jesus with my dinner I got to cook tonight? That's not the question. Are you loving God in your heart as you cook the chicken? Are you loving God in your heart as you go get the pedicure or have the spa day. I like a nice pedicure, I can't lie. But am I doing that for some vanity? Am I neglecting my responsibilities at home because I'm gonna go do this thing for myself, by myself, because it's great? Don't neglect your soul care in your self-care. How do you do that? You focus on loving God. Be willing to be called to live as his child. That's how you can care for yourself the best. Be willing to allow people and yourself to go to his word and be taught, instructed, and called to live like his child. Who has slip number one? You got a little number one in your top left. Who has that? Come, come read that to us. Being committed to care. Galatians 5. 16 through 24. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Thank you, Cassie. Don't miss what's going on here. 
Every person that will come up and read a passage is declaring to us how we can love God well. And that's what we need from each other. Is for each other to open the word of God and to speak truths into our lives. And if we're committed to care, we want that. We welcome that. We desire people in the body to call us not to an agenda, but to the word of God. To live in line and rightly apply to it. Who has number two? Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have come they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn to pray. That's right. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life mm-hmm. and is corrupt through deceitful desires, yeah. and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Thank you. The true righteousness and holiness. That's how you love God well, to put off the old self, put on the new self. But again, that's what we're calling each other to. We can't be rubbed the wrong way when our brothers and sisters call us high, call our eyes up to the hills and say, that's where your help comes from. To take off the old self, put on the new self and walk in his righteousness. Who has number three? My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who bears the fine clothing and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves mm. and become judges with evil thoughts? Mm. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be, wit- to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Thank you. Now, don't get tripped up there if you're like, man, I love poor people. I, I, I killed that verse, right? Like, I'm good there. Fill in poor people with whoever bothers you the most. Who are the type of people that you show partiality towards? The word of God would say, don't stay there. Don't be there. Call us out of that. And don't get rubbed the wrong way when your brothers and sisters call you to a to a fulfilling of a kingdom mindset. Because it's not just poor people. Right. We all can feel like we do that really well. Right. But fill that that blank in. Who do you show partiality towards? And then who has number four? Ephesians 
Put it down for a very. You got it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. There you go. There you go. First John, chapter one, verses five through six. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Thank you. John keeps it pretty black and white, right? Can't skirt around that. Can't make any excuses for that. But that's what we're called to do for one another. Invite each other into confession, invite each other into a safe space to repent and walk in the light. We don't stay there, right? We're not just calling each other to uh, stop sinning. We're calling each other to the preciousness of Jesus. So that's being committed to care and loving God. Be willing to allow people to call you to those things. That's not an exhaustive list, right? That's just four examples. But search the scripture and call each other to these beautiful things. Being committed to care and loving people, I want to say this, soul care, soul care that does not make much of Jesus is idolatry. Soul care that does not make much of Jesus is idolatry. What does that mean? If you're working with someone to be holy for the sake of being holy, you are putting them in a pathway of destruction. You have to help them see Jesus is beautiful, not, not sinning. You have to help them see Jesus as the way, not, not sinning. And it's real easy to mix those things up. Isn't calling people to Jesus calling them to not sinning? No, calling people to Jesus is calling people to Jesus. Seeing him as beautiful, pointing out his beauty. He's going to help them stop sinning, not you or me. So as we care for others, we want to love people well by calling them to see Jesus as beautiful. There's a word that gets tossed around. It's, it's gospelized that we say here, right? That believers need the gospel just as much as unbelievers need it, right? Gospelizing, if I can define it this way, is checking in with others with Jesus at the center. Not an agenda not a lifestyle that you're hoping that they walk in or a thing that they're doing, but a check in with Jesus at the center. Not my hopes or aspirations for how you're supposed to be. I, I can't help you. No one here has the power to save. Only Jesus does. So if we're going to love people well as we care for them, we have to point them to Jesus. Who has number five? No, pull up a first John two, one through six on your phone. Here, I got you. I didn't know if you just wanted people to hear that one again. <laughs> double down, double down. It's all right. Just one through six. One through six, all right. All right. 
my little children, I am writing uh, these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, mm. and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Yeah. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Amen. Let me ask there, whose commandments are they? I mean, we can Sunday school answer. Whose commandments are they? They're, they're God's, right? They're Jesus's commandments, right? So as we point him, as we point people to walking well, as we love them and calling them in those things, it's to Jesus commandments, not our interpretation of Jesus commandments. So what does that mean for us? We got to know what Jesus said. We got to study his word. We got to know what Jesus actually called people to and not just our opinion or what we think or what the pastor told us. We got to get into the word and say, what did Jesus actually call us to? But don't skip over the part that he's the propitiation for their sin, yep. not them walking in a particular way, that he satisfied the wrath of God, that he stood in that place. Yep. So he has the right to call them to live in a certain way. And we want to point people to that. We can love people well by doing that, by reminding them that Jesus is the propitiation, that they, they can't work their way to walking like Jesus called but then also that Jesus calls them to walk a certain way. And together, over time, over years, work with the process of learning how to do that well. Who has number six? Come on, Ben, tell us what it says. So this is Romans 12, 1 through 13. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, mm. that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, mm -hmm. and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to each one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, in the, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent, fervent. fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Do you receive that? Yes, sir. Again, uh, a, a picture of how we call each other to love people well. That we would be welcome to one another calling us up to those regards. Who has seven and eight? Can, can you both come up and uh, read those back to back for us? Seven first. 
Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in mm. every respect, mm -hmm. so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. I have Hebrews 7, 23-28. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the up. He's able to save to the God utmost those who draw near to God through yeah. him. Amen. Since he always lives, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Yeah. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, Amen. holy, innocent, unstained, mm. separated from sinners, yeah. and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. For first for his own sins, and then for those of the people's, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Mm. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the world of the oath, which comes later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Mm. What was that verse? That's Hebrews seven, um, twenty-three to twenty-eight. Again, those are just eight verses. We have a lifetime of study before us together to learn how to care well. And caring well is loving God and loving people. And loving God is one, being willing to obey what he said and being willing to be called to obey what he said. Loving people is pointing them to Jesus, not an agenda, and calling them up to see loving him and serving him and walking as he's called us to walk is not only the, the only way to do it, but the best way to do it. And I love, again, it was fitting in Hebrews that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's your Savior. That's the one who loves you. That's the one who gave his life for you. That's the one who calls you to live in his love. And we help each other do that, right? That's at least a call. So I want us to look up. Literally on my notes, it says, land the plane. All I got to say is, let's be committed to care. If our care does not call ourselves and others to Jesus, though, it is shallow care. It's shallow. It might be helpful for a moment, but it's shallow care. If we don't help each other, Follow Jesus. So let's be committed to care that has depth and beauty because Jesus is the substance of it. Father God, we are just unable to express how thankful we are for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. We try each day. We try even maybe greater each week that we come together to walk in that truth. But we struggle with it, Lord. 
to be as joyful as Jesus would call us to be, to be as focused on your kingdom as Jesus would call us to be, to be as intimately understanding of what your kingdom is and what your word has said as Jesus would call us to be, as Jesus led by example in doing. I'm reminded of his temptation in the wilderness and how he spoke to the enemy, not with rabbinical teachings, but with the word of God. Lord, many of us here today are still processing grief and pain, and we don't want to do it with fake smiles, Lord. We want to do it with your glory in mind. We want to do it in a way that exalts and honors Jesus. And we might need help in different ways, shapes, and forms. And so I ask, Lord, that you would empower our body to fill those gaps. For those of us who have deep faith and strong faith that God is good, speak a word of encouragement to someone who's struggling with that. For someone today who is struggling with that, I pray you would empower them by your spirit to seek out someone who believes it. That you would supernaturally make those two meet. That you would tear down the walls of pride and let humility win out in sharing and caring for burdens with one another. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us by your spirit to care well by pointing us to loving you well and loving others well. That we would put off the old self, put on the new self, that we would see Jesus as beautiful and our sin as disgusting, that we would see your glory as most important and the vain things of this world as useless and unnecessary. Lord, we know we are weak, but as the, the children's song says, you are strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Can you help us to believe that as adults, Lord? Can you help the children here to believe that through the care of their parents, that Jesus loves us and the Bible told us so. We thank you for your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.